Well, thank you for having me. Um, we always remember your family as the snake family, um, in a good way. When my kids were young, they loved it. Um, well, thank you for having me. Um, it's a joy to be here to bring God's word to you. Um, I want to tell you something at the beginning, and that is, uh, you may have heard this before, but there was, um, we'll just call him a Christian. Um, the story goes that it's a, it's a preacher, but there's really no difference. A Christian was making a wooden trellis to support a climbing vine. As he was pounding away, he noticed that a little boy was watching him. The youngster didn't say a word, so the Christian kept on working, thinking the lad would leave, but he didn't. Pleased at the thought that his work was being admired, the Christian said, Well, son, you trying to pick up some pointers on gardening? No, replied the boy. I'm just waiting to hear what a Christian says when he, get, when he hits his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> and if we've lived long enough and we've been involved in some project like that, um, if you're like me, you know there's been times when you've said something that, that you know, you shouldn't have um, that came out. But the point is, people are watching us, right? And we don't always think that. Um, someone once said a Christian's life is to stand out uh, to the world as, as different, that we should be like zebras among horses. But when our life is indistinguishable from the world's, when there's kind of a blurry line, uh, we end up kind of being like albino zebras. They really are zebras. Their parents are zebras. They know they are zebras on the inside, but to all who see them from the outside, they're no different from horses. And so today, I want to talk about living essentially as a zebra among horses, living as uh, exiles, Peter tells us, that we're exiles, we're sojourners, we're aliens, living in a world, in a fallen world, but we are to live faithfully in a fallen world. And so the text is 1 Peter 2, 11 to 25. So if you'll turn there, 1 Peter 2, 11 to 25. Peter's going to show us that we have a status, and that is we are a new people, changed by the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. We have hope in the living resurrection. We've been purchased by the, the precious blood of Christ. Um, there is hope in Jesus Christ. It's a living hope, and he's, he's, um, he's began to tell that in, these, in this first chapter, and as he gets, gets in chapters 2, um, he reminds us of that status, and out of that status should flow our behavior. And our behavior to, the, to a watching world is one in which involves service and submission to those authorities that are in place. And ultimately, the example is our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to follow in his steps. And so we're going to see our status, we're going to see our submission, and we're going to see uh, our steps. So let me, uh, let me open us in prayer and we'll get started. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people of God. Thank you that uh, you have uh, purchased us with the blood of your son, that he came to die, that we might have life. Thank you for the resurrection, the living hope that, ab that abides in those who trust in Jesus Christ. And I pray that this, this message will be a reminder for us as we start this new year of our status in Christ and our call to suffer as faithful exiles in a fallen world. We give this 
message this day to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So 11 and 12 are status. Follow along with me. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So Peter is addressing them as beloved. This is his um, dear friends, a term for that. Um, he, he calls them aliens and strangers. Back in verse 1, he, he addressed this to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And, and he names these places. Really, this is the northern part of of Asia, and he's encouraging his readers, who are primarily probably Jewish Christians, although there's, there may be a mix of Gentile Christians as well. Uh, he's encouraging his readers who are suffering persecution. They've been exiled to this region, and they're suffering persecution, and he addresses them as aliens and strangers. So if you're an alien, uh, you're one who uh, doesn't belong there. You're essentially from a different place. You're, you're a person who lives away from their native country, and as Christians, you know, Philippians tells us we, we are citizens of heaven. We, we, our ultimate primary citizenship is under God, under his kingdom. But we're exiles here on earth, so we're, we're different. And so there's, a, there's an element of our lives where we shouldn't be surprised at what we see around us. Uh, I often think of it, it it's, it's got this, trans, uh, this, this temporary nature to it. Uh, so it's like you're just setting up camp for, for a few days. I, I go backpacking in Colorado every year. Um, and this past year we did a five-day uh, trip. And we just we stay for four or five days. We, we cover 20 or 30 miles and, and we're done. Life is short. And, and that's sort of the nature of, of what it's supposed to be here on earth. We're, we're aliens. We're strangers in, in a foreign place uh, in a world that worships a different God. And so, or you can think of like Pilgrim's Progress with uh, Paul Bunyan, where he's leaving from the city of destruction to the, the celestial city. He's, he's on his way. It's a journey. We're, we're passing through. We should have shallow roots, um, loose grips, because our primary citizenship is in heaven. Um, think of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, where Abraham and others, um, these, these uh, people who had this, this great faith, it says, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, Hebrews 11 tells us, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. To return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So I think this is a good reminder for us as we come into this new year. Um, Swindoll, in his commentary, says it like this. We live in in the midst of a pagan culture surrounded by pagan people who embrace a pagan philosophy, a pagan way of life, and a pagan attitude toward believers. But God has planted us here to be the ambassadors of a different kingdom. I love that word. Uh, To lead others to that better city whose architect and builder is God. And if you're familiar with Jesus' words in John 15, he said, if the world hates you, 
you know that it has hated me first before it hated you. So where do you feel that tension? You know, the text says, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. So there's this this war language that goes on. And so one of the questions I'm asking myself as I read this is, where where is the tension that that we feel? And and, and you should feel it, right? If you start to get sort of desensitized to things and and things don't surprise you, um, that may be a problem. We should feel this tension. Paul explains it like this, this war between the flesh and the spirit. Uh, the temptation is, is strong as we're on, on our journey. Again, uh, like the great Pilgrim's Progress, there's, there's different, um, he goes through a place called Vanity Fair where they're, they're um, tempting him in different ways, but, uh, but that was different. He's different. And so it's the same here. There's that tension involved. And we're to continually, I know Colossians talks about putting off, putting on, putting off, putting on. We're to put off the deeds of the flesh, put on the clothes of Christ. And our behavior before a watching world should be excellent. It should be right. Um, So as we conduct ourselves, the life of integrity is important. It's a testimony that's lived out by the Spirit. And the Spirit uses our testimony, our actions before a watching world to convict the world of sin. Now, I know our words are important. I'm certainly not saying that, you know, we can just never share the gospel But our lives, if they don't match up with the preaching of the gospel, then it's going to fall on deaf ears. Um, It's it's Warren Wearsby who, in his commentary, talks about in the summer of 1805, there were a number of Indian chiefs and warriors who met at this council um, at Buffalo Creek, New York, to hear a presentation of the Christian message by a Mr. Cram from the Boston Missionary Society. And after the sermon, a response was given by the chief red jacket. Uh, And among other things, the chief said, brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We'll wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest, and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again of what you have said. And so I think we live in a world where, and you guys have seen this on social media in different places, where Christians don't behave like Christians, right? And so we want to call us back to our identity, our status in Christ, and we want to live out of that. We want to live, as Colossians talks about, um, with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of our opportunity, Colossians 4, 5. So what will, what will our, our witness be when the world slanders us, when the world mocks us. And, and the text says in verse, um, let's see, verse 11, um, verse 12, it says, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, they're going to glorify God. So the purpose here is to, is to bring the lost to Christ. The purpose here is to glorify God. The text says that they may glorify God. Makes me think of Matthew 5, 16, that, that, that let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds and glorify God. Uh, Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of this crooked generation. And so um, what does our life 
What, what do our lives look like? Do we reflect that blameless and innocent character that doesn't grumble or dispute? Are we known for the fruit of the Spirit or the flesh, the fruit of the flesh? Um, and, and, and typically, Christians have gone two ways on this. We either isolate and go live in a cave and retreat, or um, we've gone the other extreme where we try to legislate morality and, 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 and go way, way on that side, right? But if we look at the pattern of the scriptures, the change is from the inside out. The change is the heart. We certainly are to get involved, right? We certainly get involved in government and those kind of things. That is good. But the change ultimately comes from the inside out. And what is this day of visitation? Um, it's, either, it's either when, when one comes to know Jesus Christ and, and essentially um, is visited by God and comes to know him, or it's at the return of Christ. And so after zeroing in on this status, this identity, uh, Peter now directs us to submit. Submit. So look at verse, uh, verse 13 through 17 with me. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, or live as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering up for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. So we have this word, uh, submit. So, so Peter's calling us to submit. And, and, and this is really where, when the rubber meets the road where there's this overlap between our primary citizenship in heaven and our citizenship on earth, right? So our main authority uh, and king is God. But what does that look like while at the same time we're citizens of a country under other authorities? What does that look like maybe when those earthly authorities are corrupt? Um, what does that look like when maybe they're asking you to do something that might be against God's will? Uh, but the principle here is to submit to the authority. We know from Romans 13 that... Uh, the authorities that God establishes on earth are from him, right? Um, so this word uh, submit, uh, we, we don't like, we'll like this word, but the, this, this word hupotasso is to, to basically put yourself under somebody, uh, under their rank, to, to willingly submit to their orders or to their, to their wishes. It, it can be a military term. Um, you're, you're putting yourself under them out of, out of respect, um, not whether or not you, you like certain things about them, but it's the authority, so you're under them. Um, and script, the scriptures speak of this authority in a lot of different contexts, a lot of different social contexts. Uh, in chapter 3, it goes to wives and husbands. Uh, we have slaves, masters, young to old. Th this is not a foreign thing in the scriptures. We are to submit in different ways to the authorities that God has put in place, to every human institution. Um, and so I take it that, you know, as the scripture says, this is whether it's a king, the one in authority, or to the governors, the one that the king puts in place. Um, so this can be any, any authority all in between. Um, now, we, we experience this authority, obviously, with, with our government, with our, with our president. Um, but these authorities exist for all of us in different areas, whether it's a coach, a player, employee, employer, um, teacher, student, every one of us have authorities on this earth. 
Um, we see here that the role of government is to, to keep law and order, right? Uh, the punishment of evildoers, the praise of those who do right. And so God has established these things, and we're to live above reproach in this fallen world. We're to live as model citizens. Now, if you think about it, that's, that, can be, that can be challenging, but that, can, that is radical, to live in this world as faithful citizens is a radical thing. Especially if your king, in this, for Peter, would have been Nero. He was awful, right? And he's calling Christians to submit. And we, so, so um, again, ultimately, the biggest reason for this is to bring people, to bring the lost to Christ. Um, but this, this means submitting to those in authority that we may not agree with, right? It means submitting to authority to, uh, if you voted for a president that is in office. Um, it doesn't mean we have to agree with everything, but it does mean we need to speak respectfully of him and to honor him. And, and, and I, I think in our day and age, and I've certainly heard it the last number of years, we can speak of certain people in certain ways that really are not respectful, and the world sees that. Um, and like Peter, uh, we live in a world that is, is really, um, Peter's day was really the pre-Christian era. You know, the government, Rome, was not a Christian government until um, Constantine, about 500 AD. So Peter's audience was really a pre-Christian um, era. We, we're sort of like Peter's audience because we're becoming more and more post-Christian, Right? Um, this world, our country is becoming more, uh, less tolerant of Christianity and their values. So this, this hits home for us. Um, in Peter's day, um, you know, a percentage of the taxes would support pagan temples um, in, in various things. So he calls us to submit. Why does he call us to submit? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. It brings glory to him. Now, what happens when, when laws um, are written that oppose God's law? Well, certainly there, there are exceptions, and throughout the scriptures, I think we get the picture that uh, when man's law comes in conflict with God's law, we obey God's law as opposed to man's law, right? So you have different examples, whether it's the midwives in Exodus or Daniel and his friends or in Acts, um, but that's, that's the general principle is we are to submit to the authorities unless it conflicts with, with God's law. And I think that that time is coming, right, more and more in our, in our culture, unfortunately. Um, verse, uh, verse 15, for such is the will of God. So it's not only for the Lord's sake to glorify him, but it's, it's, it's for his will that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Okay? So um, this, this, it's not just not doing... Um, Evil. It's not just avoiding evil, but it's doing what is right. It's helping society. We're to be involved in society, in our communities, to do what is right. Um, and those good deeds will silence, or the word is, is muzzle. It will gag or muzzle the, the person in the sense that, metaphorically, they would be speechless. Right Now, I know there's, there's some, of, some of us who would literally like to muzzle some people in our lives, Right? Um, you think of it like a dog muzzle, like they, you, you know, you get the picture, right? Um, but, but that's not our calling, right? We, our, our good deeds, we are to love people, love our enemies, live in a way as model citizens to where um, they can't say anything bad about us. 
And ultimately, if they can't say anything bad about us, can't say anything bad about God, right? And that's where we're pointing people to. Um, Christians are not promoters of revolt or disorder or anarchy. Um, so the question is, if the church body just vanquished all of a sudden, um, would the community be affected? Would, would, uh, would, 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 would the order and government and things like that be affected? I hope so, in the sense that Christians affect society and our government, right? Would we, would we be missed? Or as, as some people have said, if Christianity were a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict us? And so the future um, is coming to where Christians, like I said, we're going to be blamed, persecuted more and more. And so the question is, we move into this new year, I felt like this is kind of a good New Year's kind of message uh, as, as we hear from Peter, is how will we respond when those things come our way? Um, it's a political year as well. How will we respond with the different candidates? Uh, what will our lives look like? Um, what, will it be, what will it look like as uh, our lives are lived out in front of an evil world? Will it, will it muzzle and move them to Christ? Or will it mirror retaliation and selfishness? Uh, because the world's going to notice, right? So Peter says, live as free men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but as bond slaves of God. So, so we have this paradox. We are free, yet we're bond slaves of God. So we are not to use our freedom as a, as a license for sin. Okay? May that not be, Paul, Paul says in, in Romans, because um, we're under a higher authority. Right? So we, we obey the authorities on earth, um, not because we fear those authorities, but we have a higher authority that we fear, right? And so Peter calls us to live with this tension, and that, that really recall, that, that calls for wisdom, right? That calls for a lot of wisdom. When do we step in? When do we, when do we not? What calls for a lot of wisdom. It's not a, a black and white issue necessarily. And then Peter gives us really fourfold instructions. Um, these are, these are good New Year's resolutions for us as Christians, right? These four right here in, in verse 16. Honor everyone. Whoa. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Everyone. I'm just thinking that right now in my own life as a, as a coach. I was coaching basketball yesterday. Um, this ref missed a clear double dribble. Um, and I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I looked at the ref down the court, and he pointed at the ref closest to me. It was like kind of like that's his call, and he missed it. And I, and I told the ref, I was like, did you not see the double dribble? And he was like, I wasn't looking at it. And I immediately said, what were you looking at? <laughs> immediately the spirit convicted me, and my kids will tell you immediately after I was like, I should not have said that, <laughs> sorry, um, right? So the world is watching. What does it look like to honor everyone? Love the brotherhood. goes without saying that we are to care for the body. Fear God. Fear God. It puts everything in perspective. Um, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. 
Uh, and if you look through the New Testament, there's so many scriptures that talk about this. Um, and so then he, he goes on in verse 18 to 20. Um, 18 to 20. It talks about our submission to masters. So he started with our status. Then he talked about our submission uh, to government. And now he's going to talk about our submission to, to masters. Servants, he says, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Now listen to this. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it patiently, endure it, this finds favor with God. And so this word servants um, is really uh, 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 the household servant. Um, it's not our typical word for a do, uh, servant doulos. It's not, it's not a, that slave in that sense. Um, it's a household servant. This is someone who, who lives in the same house with their master, probably whose duties are um, just restricted to the household. So this is not really our social context anymore. This is not what we historically think of American slavery um, in, in our um, unfortunate uh, recent past, um, these are, are really the, 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 the picture is more of their employer-employee relationship. So you could have some servants here in the household who are highly educated. Um, you could have some servants who uh, were teachers, uh, even doctors, right? Um, so slavery, um, slaves were taken in that time often as spoils of war. Um, in the Roman Empire at this time, you could have two-thirds of the Roman Empire were, were made up of, of slaves. that People could sell themselves into slavery to pay debts. And so it was more about the social, economic, political idea um, rather than what, what we might be thinking in, the, in, in our recent past in American history. Although that, that certainly could have happened where people were treated in that way. Um, but it says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. So again, think about the social relationships that we have, that you have, in, in your life uh, for, for this year. Again, whether it's employer, employee, coach, player, teacher, student, parent, child, um, elders of a church, members of a church, we all have authorities and we're called to submit. The word uh, is, is where we get the word scoliosis. So the Greek word is scoliosis, where we get the word scoliosis, um, the, the, it means crooked. So when people treat you crookedly, it, it means harsh or, or unjust or dishonest. So if you ever had somebody in authority, okay, don't, don't say it out loud, but you can all nod your heads or, or say to yourself, yes. Have you ever had somebody in authority who's treated you as uh, in this way? They, they treated you very harshly or unjustly or dishonestly, um, caused you frustration. They, they've been twisted. They've... they've um, the message version translates this as the bad ones, okay? Have you ever had a, the bad boss? Um, what do we do when we're treated in this crooked, scoliosis, unreasonable, unjust way by those who are in authority? Um, verse 19 says, for this finds favor. What? This is, ESV says, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Well, last I checked, it wasn't that comfortable 
being on the receiving end of an unjust boss. Uh, but God says this finds favor. Why? If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. So this is a gracious thing. Um, our calling is to suffer unjustly while doing good. You say, you say okay, great. That, that's great New Year's resolution, to suffer unjustly while doing good. But that's ultimately our, our calling. Um, in our Christianese culture and Christianese language, we talk about our calling. What's your calling? What's my calling? Um, but biblically, really, your calling is to know God, and your calling is to endure patiently while you suffer. That's our calling, right? Um, suffering produces endurance, ultimately goes to hope. Um, I love this quote by a, a professor I had at seminary, um, Dr. John Hanna, but he talks about suffering and the disappointments in life. Um, and he, he, he paints this picture of a river uh, coming down from the mountains. He says, if God took all the rocks out of the streams that cascade down the mighty mountains, the rivers would no longer sing. And so I think the idea is that God puts rocks in our lives. Um, and though for us, they may seem like obstacles, they're really, they are shaped uh, so that the stream that your life may sing, that your life may bring praise and glory to God. And that's, that's his will, that in this broken, fallen life, the suffering gives glory to him. It shows people that there's something greater. You know, Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world, and we talked about this, this tension. And, and is it evident that we are distinctive in our lives? Um, you know, Luke 6 talks about um, you know, when someone asks you to go one mile, you're going to go two miles. When someone slaps you on the face, you're going to turn your other cheek. Um, these are this is radical. This is hard teaching. This is radical stuff. Um, but the thing is, we do have one who gave us a portrait of what that looks like. We have his tracks, so to speak. We have his footprints, and we're called to follow in those steps. And so Peter's talked about our status, um, and then he's talked about this submission. And now, finally, he's going to talk about the steps, the steps that we're going to follow. And so if you read with me from 21 to 25, in conclusion, we're going to focus on our Savior and the steps that we're to follow. It says, verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. So we're called for that. We're called to this unjust suffering, to bear it patiently, because Christ is our example. This is a great word, this... Um, uh, this, this, the Greek word hupogramos. This, it's the idea that, um, that we are to trace or follow an example, this representative pattern. Um, it was used in, in the Greek uh, culture as this academic expression of uh, tracing or copying something. So if you ever remember in elementary or grade school where you'd see like the big A, little A, big B, little B. You all remember that? Um, so this is where that word... Uh, 
comes from. As a, as a child, you're copying, you're tracing that. I think of my kids, they, um, some, some of my younger ones sometimes put things in the windows that the light comes in, and so they trace um, something on that. That's, that's the idea. We are to follow in this pattern. Um, this is the example. Jesus is that, that perfect example that we are to follow um, in his tracks. And so really his pattern becomes the picture. His suffering becomes our imitation. His dying becomes our design. He says in John 12, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. So what the world needs to see is Jesus in us bearing the cross. What will the world see this year? Um, In verse 22, he quotes from Isaiah 53. uh, Christ, this suffering servant. And really when we participate in in the sufferings of Christ, we we display the sufferings of Christ to, to, to a lost world. We display the gospel. And if anyone was treated with unjust, that scoliosis, crooked treatment, if anyone was treated like that, it was Jesus. 1 Peter 3 talks about not returning evil for evil, insult for insult. That is hard. That's hard in my own life um, in so many ways. Uh, Romans 12, 17 to 20, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Um, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. So ultimately, you know, if you've been wronged, if it's a believer who's wronged you, it's been paid for at the cross, right? If it's an unbeliever, it will be dealt with in the future when Christ returns in his wrath. Um, are we patient enough to wait for him? Are we patient enough to, um, to leave it in his hands? Um, that's the calling. You know, the apostles suffered. Um, they were on display in their suffering, uh, displaying the sufferings of Christ. But we do have someone to give this to. We entrust everything to him. Um, I love that word, this entrust. Uh, it, another version says it's, it's in his hands. We, we leave the case in the hands of Jesus. We entrust things to him. And so I don't know, you know what your lives look like. I've been here a little while, but um, if you're like me, then you, you've had trials um, and you have it every year, right? And you'll experience unjust treatment. And so maybe there's some of you who are experiencing that this week or, or recently, um, what will you do with that? I know this verse was particularly meaningful for my family years ago when we experienced some things like this. Um, and one of uh, a dear friend and, and, and pastor and counselor encouraged us in this verse to entrust these things to Jesus. Um, now th- this doesn't mean not, not dealing with our feelings at some point, or, or it doesn't mean being blaming and being bitter um, or having a, a pity party and sorrow. You're going to wrestle with all that. Um, but in the midst of that, We continue to entrust, continue to entrust, continue to entrust, to hand it over. Um, Verse 24 says, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. You know, Jesus, um, he took 
the penalty of our sins, right? Um, He did this for you. He did this for me. So that if we put our trust in him, we might receive new life, that we would be forgiven of our sins, that we might receive new life, that have this new identity where we now want to cease from our sin and we want to live to righteousness. We have a, we have a new picture. We wake up with a, with a new purpose. No matter what struggle we may go through, we have a, we have a purpose. That's to live in relationship with the Almighty God, knowing that when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty that I'll never be able to pay. And he was raised from the grave, conquering death. And we have a living hope that one day we're going to be resurrected with a bodily resurrection. And there'll be no more pain, no more unjust treatment. And we will live under the authority of the one true God and ultimately Jesus Christ on earth as this theocratic kingdom visibly expressed, right? Probably one day we don't have to vote for, for the right guy. The right guy will be there. Um, and so for by his wounds you were healed um, and so this, this idea of healing there which is, which is really um, a metaphor for salvation that we, we, we can be saved um, and so we have, we've been healed by him because he has, he has sought us out. He's rescued us as a shepherd does to his sheep. And so really as we close, I just want you to focus on Jesus as our shepherd. In verse 25, it says, For you will continually, you are continually strain like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Isn't that a beautiful picture of our shepherd? Um, ultimately, people in authority will fail us, um, but part of entrusting ourselves to the earthly authorities, in the sense, is entrusting us ourselves to the greater authority, which is God, um, and ultimately our shepherd. You know, the, the imagery of Jesus as the shepherd is, is all throughout the New Testament. The imagery of God as our shepherd is all throughout the Bible and throughout the Old Testament, because he cares for his sheep. Um, he wants to rescue us. He wants to protect us. Genesis 48 um, Jacob says, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Of course, you know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Um, Psalm 95 says, for he is our God and we are his people of of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This imagery of of a shepherd who cares for his flock. Um, How does that encourage you? How How does that encourage you? Because sheep stray. Right, um, and without Christ, you have you have wandered off, close to dying, close to falling off a cliff. But He's rescued us, um, and we we are in need of Him as our shepherd. And He directs us. Um, you know, a shepherd with a sheep, a real uh, living out in the fields, would direct them to water to satisfy them. Um, but in in this image here, and in reality, Jesus, the shepherd, directs us to Himself. He is the water that satisfies. Psalm 63 says, I shall be watching for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Um, Jonathan Edwards talks about Christ as a river um, that just as it's continually flowing with fresh supplies of water coming from the fountainhead uh, continually so that a man may live by it and be supplied with water all his life. This, This never stops. Christ is that fountain that keeps providing. 
John 14, Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, thinking of the, 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 the physical water with the woman at the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. But the water that I give him will become a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. John 7, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so this, this new year, what fountain will you be drinking from? There's only one fountain that truly satisfies. His name is Jesus. Come to the fountain. It's one of our contemporary songs talks about. Come to the fountain and you will be satisfied. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for this encouraging word from your, um, your word. Um, God, is, uh, as Peter tells us later in chapter 5, um, I pray that we would cast all of our anxiety um, on you because you care for us. I know life is hard. Um, and I pray, Father, that uh, you would encourage us, that you would equip us and strengthen us to endure patient suffering. I don't know what you have for us this year or what's going on in the past for everybody here, but God, we do know that you are faithful. Um, you are faithful still. And you've given us your son, Jesus, who satisfies to the fullness of and he's making all things new. And though it's beyond our comprehension how things in our lives, the unjust treatment and the ways that we've experienced suffering and, and, and perhaps will experience suffering more and more, though it's beyond our mind to know how, how you can take those things and use them for your glory and our good, it's, it's a mystery. But we know it's true and we trust you. Um, and so we ask that you would do that, that you would allow us to entrust all things to you. And after we have suffered for a little while, as Peter says, um, may the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen.